Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, what's up? I'm Chris. I'm the pastor at Compass. And before we even get started, we want this to be more than just a video you watch. So would you just go into the description line of this video and fill out a connect card so that we can connect with you? That would be amazing. And after you do that, I want to do this. I want to describe for you a scenario that has played out in my home numerous times over the years, particularly when my kids were were a lot younger than they are now. Now, this is this is one that you may be familiar with if you're a parent. Or maybe you can identify with my kids in this scenario, but it goes something like this. It's the middle of the night, and Terry and I are asleep in bed. There's a small knock on the door before it creaks open, and the tiny figure of one of our kids walks quietly into this dark room. Now, this is a very important detail. My side of the bed is closest to the door. So if anyone's gonna come in and murder us in our sleep, they will have to go through me first. But it also means that I am easily the most accessible parent to a child in the middle of the night. But this creeping night child does not come to me. They walk all the way around to the other side of the bed where they tap their mom awake and they say, Mom, I threw up. Now it's altogether possible that they came to me first And in a haze of sleep, I told them, go tell your mom. It's unlikely that I ever did that, though. Unlikely as it is, I will acknowledge that it's possible. But in any event, when my kids were sick, they always went to their mom. And maybe it's like that in your family. There's one parent who kids go to when they're sick, when they throw up, poop their pants, or need help in the bathroom. And it could just as easily be dad as it is mom, because gender is not relevant. What's relevant is that our kids typically go to the parent who is best equipped to help them with their problem. Terry is just better at caring for our kids when they're sick. Now, if anyone heard a weird noise in the house in the middle of the night, they would come and wake me up because I will grab my baseball bat and I'll stalk through the house looking for intruders. But they know that mom is not the person for that job because in my house, I'm the authority on baseball bats and intruders, and Terry is the authority on caring for sick kids. And the word authority is really key here, because when we do need help with something, we tend to go to the person who has authority in that area. So, I mean, when my car breaks down, I go to a mechanic, not a carpenter, because a mechanic has more authority on vehicles. When my house needs repairs, I go to a contractor, not a music teacher. And it's not that any of those other people can't help, it's just that they they don't have the type of authority to help in the way that I need. But I also know this about authority. Authority is not something that people just blindly accept. If COVID has taught us anything, It's that having training and expertise in a field does not guarantee that people will accept your authority in that field. At heart, whether it's a lot or little, we all have authority issues. I mean, for example, if if someone came out and said, I'm a doctor and in my research, I've discovered that if you eat 10 live spiders every day, you will be immune to cancer. Most people would not just accept that they would need some proof. They would need some proof of his authority on that issue. And on the low end of the authority issue scale, you know, maybe people would just need to see his medical credentials and that would be enough to eat some spiders. 
and maybe on the high end of the authority issue scale, there would be people who would need to see his results tested by other doctors and written up in a journal, and they would need to see definitive clinical trials where it actually worked on a large sampling of people. But the thing is, no matter where you might fall on that scale or in between, we all require a measure of proof before we accept someone's authority, particularly when it comes to eating spiders. And there's a, a tug of war that exists between us wanting someone who has authority to help us with our problems and needing that person to prove their authority to us before we let them help us with our problems. And it's in that tug of war that we find ourselves in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Matthew wrote this biography of Jesus in his Gospel, a collection of Jesus' teachings and life stories. And he wrote them in order to prove that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah sent by God to save the world. But for background, it's important to know this. Matthew wrote his Gospel for a first-century Jewish audience. His goal was to convince the religious Jewish people of his day that Jesus was the Messiah that they had been looking for. And everything in his book that he wrote was for that purpose, from the use of the, the Jewish scripture references he used to the stories and teachings that he chose to include and how he put them, whether in order chronologically or by subject. You see, the Jewish audience that, that Matthew is writing for were very familiar with that authority tug of war we talked about. They were waiting for the Jewish Messiah who they believed would come and free them from the Roman occupation of their homeland and then reestablish Israel as a powerful nation. And so they were looking for the person with the authority to make that happen. But at the same time, there had been lots of guys who had popped up claiming to be the Messiah. And people would get excited about those guys and follow them for a while until those guys were either killed by Rome or they ended up just not being the real, real deal. And, and some of these guys, these kind of these fake messiahs, even built up small armies and they fought against Rome for years before it all collapsed. And the Jewish people, not wanting to get burned again, they wanted someone with authority, but they wanted proof from anyone who could potentially be the messiah that he actually had the authority to lead them. Basically, the people wanted proof of authority, and they lived in this authority tug of war. And proof of authority is what's on Matthew's mind as he documented the stories that we are going to find in Matthew chapters 8 and 9. Now, Matthew spent the first seven chapters of his gospel introducing us to Jesus and introducing us to the heart of Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. And now, Matthew is saying to his Jewish audience, he's saying, I have presented the Messiah to you. And now here's the proof. And to do that, Matthew gathered the stories of nine miracles that Jesus performed into a collection. Now, we actually already looked at three of them in our Outsiders message series. And if you missed Outsiders, you really should check that out online. I would really encourage you to go do that. But we're going to begin today with a big miracle that Jesus did in Matthew 8, 23 through 25. And this is what Matthew writes. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. So the disciples went down and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. So the disciples find themselves in this difficult, impossible situation. 
They're out at sea, caught in a storm, and their boat is taking on water because the waves are so high. Now, bear in mind that four of these guys were fishermen who made their living on the water. So I imagine if they were panicking, this storm was a big deal. And I, I don't know what I would do in this situation. I mean, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? I mean, they were just powerless. And then I see something familiar in this story. Just like my kids who got sick in the middle of the night and don't know what to do, the disciples wake up the only person that they think has the authority to help. Now, before we go on, there's a couple things here as far as background, okay? The disciples have already seen Jesus do the miraculous by healing people, like a lot of people. They know that Jesus can do incredible things. But controlling the weather is a whole other matter. I mean, there were, there were other religious leaders who healed people, or at least they claimed to heal people, just like there are people who do that today. But, but to the ancient Jewish mind, weather and controlling it, that was God's domain. I mean, for example, look at what's written in Psalm 89, 8 through 9. O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. God, in the ancient Jewish mind, ruled the oceans and the waves. And look at Psalm 65, 6 through 7. You formed the mountains by your power and armed yourself with mighty strength. You quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves. In the ancient Jewish mind, God is the creator of the earth, of all creation. And only his power and strength can control it. Only his. In the ancient Jewish mind, creation, the, the oceans, weather, these are all under God's dominion. And only his power could subdue it all. And while we have stories in the Jewish scriptures that document miracles where nature and the weather were changed, it was always God's doing at the request of his people. There was never a case where his people claimed the power or authority to do it themselves because that would be impossible because only God can control the weather. Also, in addition to that fact that they thought only God could control the weather, in the ancient Jewish mind, the Messiah was God's chosen, but he was a man, not a God. And while the Messiah may be the greatest Israelite to live since Moses, they believed he was a person that God would use, not God himself. So, knowing all that, look at what happens after the disciples wake Jesus up. Jesus responded, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. So, like a dad with a baseball bat, whose kids woke him up in the middle of the night because they heard a noise, Jesus wakes up and he's like, don't worry. I know this seems like a really big deal to you, but I've got this. And then Jesus gets up and he yells at the storm to just knock it off. And it did. Now remember, only God is powerful enough to control creation and weather. And notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't get up and pray. He didn't ask his father to please take care of things. He just said, quit it. And this is what Matthew would have us understand from the story. 
It's that Jesus has authority over everything. He has authority over the sicknesses he healed. He has authority over the demons he cast out. And he has authority over things that only God has authority over. See, Matthew is presenting his proof to a first century Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah and more. But a modern audience like us can apply the story this way, that Jesus is the first person to wake up when we need help. He is the authority on human life because he is God. He created life. He is the authority on you and me because before the foundations of time were laid down, we were already on his mind. When you need someone with the authority to help you, to teach you, or to lead you or guide you through life, Jesus is the authority. And we're months away from getting through the book of Matthew as we work our way through to its concluding chapters at least. But I'm going to give you a spoiler alert, okay? Jesus said this at the end of Matthew. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. What Matthew was rolling out for people at the very beginning of his narrative, Jesus came right out and said at the end of Matthew's narrative, he is the ultimate authority. You can trust him. You can believe him. You can turn to him. You can wake him up when you are sick or when you are scared or when you have doubts and questions or when you're just in need. And we know that the disciples, they were amazed when Jesus calmed the storm because they were like, whoa, who is this dude? I mean, we already thought he was the Messiah, but, but the weather, this is next level stuff. And maybe they were aware of an echo of what had just happened to them in a psalm that was written more than 400 years before Jesus and his disciples found themselves on that boat in that storm. In Psalm 107, 23 through 29, it says, some went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world, and they too observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke, and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wit's end. Lord, help. They cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. The God, who that was about 400 years before, is the Jesus we see in Matthew. And at the end of the day, I think we probably need to conclude that the purpose of Jesus's miracles was more than just to present, prevent his followers from going through hard times. I mean, he did save his disciples from being shipwrecked, but the apostle Paul was brutally shipwrecked decades later, and, and he wasn't saved from it. See, Matthew isn't pointing to Jesus' authority in order to say that every bad situation we're in will have a supernatural and miraculous solution. Rather, he just wants to show us who Jesus is. He's God. He's the one with authority over everything, everyone, and every situation. But more than that, he's the God who, like a loving father, invites us to creep into his room at night when we're scared or sick or in need to shake him awake and say, Lord, help. The person 
with all authority in heaven and earth is the same person who is inviting you to come to him with whatever you need and whatever you're facing. The person with authority over everything is inviting you to ask him for help anytime. He's inviting you to love him and to be loved by him because Jesus is the first person that we should wake up when we need help. So today, whether you're in a storm that seems hopeless or facing down a mountain, or whether you're looking for the person with the authority to help you, or maybe you're, you're just looking for the proof that you can trust the authority that they claim to have, the person you're looking for is Jesus. It always was him, and it will always be him. And with him, I invite you to say yes and step into relationship with him, to step under his authority by putting your faith and trust in him. And I know that his disciples would say that if you do, you will not regret it. And finally, if you're in a storm today and you need prayer, or if today you're ready to say yes to taking the first step in following Jesus, please fill out the connection card at the link posted in the notes in the description notes of this video. We want to connect with you beyond just sharing this video. So please fill that out so that we can help you take whatever next steps are ahead of you. And whether those next steps are getting some prayer, getting guidance and following Jesus or joining a group, we are here for you. I can't wait to see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. 